Welcome everyone to the Bridge of Faith podcast. We are so glad you're listening today. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. God bless. It's always nice. It's always nice when we get to do four songs for worship. Amen. <laughs> it's like, man, I just love it. So thank you, worship team, for that. Um, good morning, Bridge of Faith. Um, again, you know, I'm I'm honored. I'm privileged, as always, you know, to speak. Um, you know, thank you to the leadership. 
you know, for this opportunity to, um, you know, preach the gospel. And so if you weren't here last week, just to recap, Pastor Mike gave an incredible sermon on four of the six antitheses of Jesus, which was murder, adultery, divorce, and oaths. And if you don't know what antithesis is, I had to look it up myself, but Jesus cites an earlier proposition of the Mosaic Law, or a thesis, and makes an authoritative counter-proposition, or antithesis, that calls for his disciples to a higher standard of belief, motivation, and observance. And so this week, we will conclude by talking about the very last two antitheses, which many describe as the hard sayings of Jesus, the most difficult verses in the Bible, impossible or hyperbole, meaning, meaning not to be taken literally, and commands for another world. But out of all the antitheses Jesus talks about, these last two are the most profound because nowhere in the, is the challenge of the Sermon on the Mount greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious, and nowhere is our need of the power of the Holy Spirit more compelling, whose first fruit is love. And so before we begin, as usual, let's prepare our hearts in prayer for today's message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again uh, for today, Lord God. We thank you for our health, for our families, for our loved ones, for your provision. We thank you, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit is here with us. It went before us, Lord God, and we just pray, Lord God, that our hearts are open to hear your message, Lord God, that we receive them in humility, Lord God, and that it pierces our heart that, and it convicts us to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever it may be, please read along with me in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, which is titled, Eye for Eye. And what I want to do with these verses I covered today is to give a little background of each and, of each and cover a few topics of how Jesus' countercultural ways of his time can be applied in our everyday life. So again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Eye for an eye. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Like Pastor Mike has been teaching us these past few weeks, what Jesus is re referencing in these verses is the Mosaic Law, or the first five books of the Bible. Now, the Mosaic Law was a civil code just as much as it was a moral code, a moral code in that the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai twice were supposed to be given to the Israelites, and the civil code was that it contained a series of ordinances or a standard in which the Ten Commandments can be applied to the Jewish people. So when Jesus quotes verses 38 to 42, not only is his response countercultural, but he's also referencing a well-known Old Testament form of punishment that was still being practiced when he came onto the scene. And it was called lex talionis, or the law of retaliation. Its purpose was twofold to lay the foundation of justice and to limit the compensation of the victim to an exact equivalent and no more. It was also used to prevent personal actions of retaliation 
and revenge from the hands of the victim and his family and instead put them into the hands of the governing judicial system. So in layman terms, in referencing verse 38, if for whatever reason, Pastor Mike hit me in the eye and I went blind, well, the law of retaliation tells me, hey, it's okay for me to go back up to him, hit him until he goes blind as well, right? Now, what the law of retaliation doesn't let you do is if I'm not okay with making him blind, I can't go and attack his other bodily parts, right? The law of retaliation says that, hey, what it, the law of retaliation was forbidden or the law of retaliation had to be fair or would have to have to fit the crime. So life for life, eye for eye, or tooth for tooth. Now, going further in verse 39, Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Again, Lex Talionis says, a slap for a slap. So why should I let another man slap me in my left cheek if, I, if he's already slapped me in my right cheek, right? Lex Talionis says, hey, a slap for a slap. But the significance of what Jesus was saying is, during that time, a face slap was actually a form of insult. On average, more than 70% of the population is right-handed, me included. So when Jesus speaks on this verse, he's specifically talking to a right-handed person. And if you get slapped on the right cheek from a right-handed person, you're actually being given a backhand slap, right? So right hand, cheek, right cheek, backhand, right? Now, a backhand slap is so insulting that the Jewish rabbis have a law that allows a victim to seek compensation for a backhand slap. The offending party, or the one giving the slap, is required to pay 200 zuz, I don't know if I said that right, 200 zuz for a front-handed slap, for a front-handed slap, an open-hand slap. But if you were to get slapped with, your, with a backhand, you're allowed to have compensation for 400 zuz, right? So in Jewish culture, you could take someone to court and sue them for an insult. In verse 40, Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, under the Old Testament borrowing laws, a poor person who borrowed money could provide a garment as a pledge or collateral to help ensure that he would pay the loan back. Normal practice at that time would be that people would wear a lighter inner tunic and also a heavier outer garment or cloak to be used in colder conditions. So as a man, just think of a suit, right? The dress, the dress shirt under it would be my lighter, um, my lighter garment, and then my coat or my blazer would be my heavier garment. So why would a person give such a piece of clothing for collateral? Well, if, he's, if he was really poor, that's all he has. And for those of us who have been in the desert, we know that at nighttime, desert night temperatures could get really cold, especially during the winter months, right? So the Old Testament had a provision that required that the garment be returned to the poor person every night for warmth. So let's say, here's an analogy, that a poor person took out a five-day loan. No interest would be charged, and the pledge or the garment would have to exchange hands between borrower and lender every day, twice a day for five days. The lender was not allowed to go into the borrower's house and had to return the garment every night. The borrower 
was to turn the garment back to the lender each morning until the loan was paid back. Now, what if one of the parties violated one of these provisions? Well, this is where a lawsuit and a court order might come into play, and the Pharisees had detailed rules for using the court system as a tool for dealing with the problem. And lastly, in verse 41, Jesus tells us, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. The historical background to this situation is Roman law requires an individual from a conquered country to carry a load or pack up to one mile on foot if asked by a Roman. Now, mind you, if that person, that citizen of that country carried a pack for a mile, another Roman was allowed to ask him to carry it for another mile, right? So it was, it was frowned upon, it was hated, it wasn't popular. And so in the New Testament, I'm sure many of you can recall, in Matthew 27, 32, Simon the Cyrene was asked to carry the cross of Jesus. And research shows us that he had to carry it for a mile. And so what's the point to all this? What's Jesus trying to teach us? In verse 38 to 39, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And the last part of verse 39 is the spirit behind what Jesus is trying to portray to the Israelites and us as believers. And in other translations, I know in the NIV it says, do not resist an evil person. But in other translations, it says, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you or don't repay an evil act with another evil act. You see, when Jesus stepped onto the scene, there was debate amongst the Jewish community about Old Testament law, which was spearheaded by the scribes and the Pharisees. And instead of allowing just retribution to be handled in the courts where it belongs, they extended it to the realm of personal relationships where it shouldn't belong. They tried to twist the law to benefit their personal agenda in justifying personal revenge even though the law prohibited it. Now, this came from the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who were teaching the law. They basically said, hey, it's okay for you to retaliate. Who cares what the law says? It's okay to go after that person who murders you or killed your family or whatever, right? So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he wasn't trying to affirm the interpretation of the scribes and the Pharisees, but was contrasting it and giving the Jewish nation and us a higher standard than was previously taught. Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, the law of grace. And it was impossible for the common man and woman to fulfill all 613 commandments to be righteous with God. And so here's two points we can take away from these verses. Number one, don't retaliate. Your justice is with the Lord. Romans 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can you imagine how David felt? David went from being a worship singer to one of Saul's generals to being almost killed by Saul twice. And then when he had an opportunity to kill Saul, he says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, 
or lay, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. So what basically, saw, or basically what David is saying is like, hey, my vengeance comes from the Lord. This is, Lord's anoint, this is the Lord's anointed. No matter how bad he treats me, no matter how many times that he tries to kill me, I'm not going to touch him. I'm going sure, to take the Lord for his word and know that he's going to honor me and do what's right. Now, how about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers? On top of that, he was wrongfully imprisoned for two years over something that he didn't do to Potiphar's wife. And he, but later on during the years, he gets out of jail, and he becomes number two in charge, and he's able to bring his brothers and his father to where he's at. And he says, look, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so just with these two stories alone, both David and Joseph, it shows that, hey, both of these godly men never took things into their own hands. Instead, the Lord honored them through their faithfulness, through their purity, and in a sense, doing or giving vengeance to the people that were trying to hurt them. Number two, your love and peace is a witness for powerful Christian discipleship. Now, given the times that we live in, um, you know, with all the rights and whatnot, you know, if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were here, I'm pretty sure that he would have had a huge impact. And you know the reason why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was so impactful with his movement and civil rights was because the same spirit that Jesus is teaching us in turning the other cheek or going the extra mile or letting someone borrow from you more than what they asked is the same spirit behind what he stood for. And at his funeral, Dr. Benjamin May gave an account of all Dr. King's of all of Dr. King's unjust sufferings, he says, if any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed, living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him, and yet this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancor in his soul, no revenge in his mind, and he went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. I wonder how many lives Dr. Martin Luther King touched while he was still living. I wonder how many lives Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. touched, millions probably, after he died. But that was the message that he took from the Bible, from, from the Beatitudes of Jesus, was, hey, I'm not going to fight my enemies with violence. Instead, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to follow what Jesus had, had told me and combat that with peace. And it was effective up until he died, of course. <clears throat> Lastly, I want to conclude with the last of the antithesis, if the, if the worship team can come up. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and let's read verses 43 to 48 together. And this is love for enemies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. More than ever, given the times that we live in, should the church be a living example of what love looks like? See, the scribes and the Pharisees of the time taught the Jewish community that hating your enemy was okay. Taken at its most literal form, their neighbor was their physical next house over Jewish neighbor. And so when Jesus came in the picture, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Words that were so foreign to a nation under Roman control and fought years of wars with other nations like the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, and so forth. So how can this man tell us to love our enemies? But here's the great thing about Jesus. He modeled what love looks like for us as he illustrates so plainly with the parable of the Good Samaritan or the woman at the well. Now, Samaritans, they were half-breeds, right? They were half-Jews, half-Gentiles. Women, especially back in the day, they weren't even allowed to, to have a place in society. They were looked down upon. But Jesus says, hey, no, these, these people, these Samaritans, these Gentiles, these women, no, you must love them. And that was what was so countercultural to what his message portrayed. And here are three topics we can learn from, from these passages. Number one, our love for our enemies is expressed in deed. Love in action. What would it do to your enemy if you did one nice thing for them? Um, I love, there's this one story that I love about this, this preacher guy named Todd White. And, um, I've told, I've told this story in, in our Bible studies before, and when, when, Todd White, when Todd White became saved, when he found the Lord, you know, there's, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that healing will come for those who believe. And so he took that verse, and he went after it. And he's, in his testimonial, he says, he, every single day, for six to eight months, he prayed for 10 people every single day. And for six to eight months, he never saw healing at all. And every day that he would come home, he would write all of these non-healing miracles in his journal. Some days he would go to Walmart with his wife and his daughter, and his wife would be so mad at him because he would take two hours to pray for people, and he would never see a healing, ever. But he did it anyways, faithfully, six to eight months. 10 months in, he's working, and the Lord tells him, like, hey, your coworker, the Lord spoke to his heart and told him, your coworker, he has a problem with his back. He has a sciatic nerve. Go ahead and pray for him. And so Todd White goes up to him, and he prays for him, and sure enough, his coworker has what the, what the Lord had spoken to his heart. And so... He got saved and he went after healing every single day after that moment. And he saw healings day after day. Fast forward, he started working for this uh, ice, ice truck company. And 
he wasn't the driver of the truck. He was just helping the driver. And his driver was an atheist. And he hated Todd White. Hated. He wouldn't even talk to him. And even if he did talk to him, he would say all these foul things to Todd White. But because, because Todd White was so faithful, he didn't care. And he loved on him anyways. This was his enemy. He's like, hey, this guy, this atheist, he doesn't know who he is in Christ. So why should I hate him? Right? I'm just going to continue to love on him. And so he was, they, were, they were ice, um, ice deliverers. And so their, their, their beat or their route, they would go to different liquor stores and they would drop off ice. And every single liquor store or convenience store that Todd White would drop off ice to, he would pray for every single person in that convenience store for an entire year. There were days when Todd White wouldn't be with his atheist driver on those routes and those same people he would, who, would, who, who he would pray for would ask his atheist driver, where is, your, where is your friend? Where is that guy who likes to pray for people, right? Because of the impact that Todd White had um, left with those people. And fast forward, you know, he did this for about a year. He puts in his two weeks and Everyone in the department knows that he's leaving. And the very last day that he's about to leave, his atheist driver's like, hey, he doesn't apologize. He's like, there's someone that I want you to meet. And that person that he, that he wanted Todd White to meet was his mother. His mother was actually dying from cancer. And Todd White, because Todd White faithfully prayed for people, even if he didn't see a healing, but for the most part, he saw lots of healings. It didn't matter what his atheist driver, driver said or thought about him because he was doing God's will. He believed, he believed in what he was doing. And so Todd White prayed for this atheist driver's mother. And of course, what happens? He gets healed. And so this is a great example of loving your enemies, even when you don't see the fruit behind it. You just never know. Your only job is to plant the seed, but, but it's God's job to water that seed. Amen. Amen? Number two, our love for our enemies is expressed in our words. Isn't it true that our words can either be meant to speak life or death into someone? Typically, those words of life and death are spoken over the people close to us. Sometimes, in the heat of a battle and sometimes in moments of joy. But in that same context, if we have the power to speak life and death to our loved ones, how much more powerful is it to speak life and death into our enemies? As believers, we must bless those who curse us. If they call down disaster and catastrophe upon our heads, expressing in words their wish for our downfall, we must retaliate by calling down heaven's blessing upon them declaring in words that we wish them nothing but good. Number three, our love for our enemies is expressed in our prayers. The greatest model of this type of love is demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ. What humility, what love for Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, as he is nailed to the cross, bleeding profusely, gasping for breath, with the crown of thorns, looking up to the heavens, saying as intimately as he can say, our translations that we read, it says, Father, Father, forgive them,
for they do not know what they are doing. But Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and he says, Abba. Abba is in, it's translated as an intimate expression of his relationship with the Lord. And he says, he looks up and he says, Abba, Abba, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And for those of us who know Christ intimately, his personality, we know that's, that that's not the only time Jesus said those words. On paper, yes, but I can imagine Jesus saying those very same words as he is being scourged with bone and metal that rip away at his skin. When Jesus got flogged, he got flogged with, with leather, leather straps. And at the end of these leather straps were pieces of bone, pieces of metal that every single time hit the back of Jesus or the body of Jesus, it would dig into his skin and it would rip it. And the Bible says his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Can you imagine that? Any, any, graphic, any graphic video or picture that we've seen of, of, of a human body, it, a lot of times, you know, like you wouldn't be able to, to identify who it would be. But the Bible says that Jesus, when he was flogged, just when he was flogged, his body was like anything no one's ever seen. It was dismembered. It was disfigured. As he's being spit on, I can only think that Jesus said those very same words. As he is being mocked, as he is carrying the very instrument that will be used to put him to death. <clears throat> now, there might be some of you saying to yourself, myself included, hey, when I'm preaching up here, I preach to myself. How can I love my enemies? How can I love them? I'm not Jesus. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus said that it's for our benefit. It's, it's for our benefit that he leaves so that the Father can send the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And church, there's nothing in life that we can't do without him, without his spirit. And so my prayer for each and every single one of us today is that we have that same Holy Spirit who can guide us through life and teach us and, and be able to truly, genuinely be able to go up to people that we hate, our enemies, and truly and deeply go up to them and be like, hey man, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not easy. There are things in my past that haven't, there are, there are people in my past that, that have hurt me that till this day, I probably still need healing with. And every time I have those moments where I have anger, I say the very same thing, Lord God, please forgive me. I can't do this. I can't do this. And so, you know, these, these two antitheses is, is, is very hard for, for a lot of us, right? It's not easy to to love our enemies, it's not, it's not easy to, um, you know, do those Jesus-like things, right? Only Jesus could do that. But as long as we have the Holy Spirit, we can do anything. And so we're gonna, just gonna, our worship team's just gonna worship again, you know? And, you know, as I was preparing for this message, you know, it, it only feels right that, you know, if there's anyone in here that needs prayer, you know, for, for things of their past, for things that they haven't forgiven other people of themselves. You know, our leaders will be up here praying for you. 
you know, please don't be shy and just worship the Lord. Come up if you need prayer. We will definitely pray for you because God is good. God is the king of all kings and he is quick to forgive as long as we posture our hearts in humility and repentance and just know that he is good, that he is victorious, that there's nothing that we can't do that he can't forgive. Amen? So let's worship. If anyone needs prayer, hey, the leaders will be up here. God bless. for that today, Father. We thank you so much for saying, Justin, God, to bring your word this morning. Bless him and everyone here, God. I pray, Lord God, that everything that this that was said and communicated to sink in, Father, and how we treat those that maybe mistreat us, that we'll leave this place wanting to behave differently. Not behave like how the world behaves, but live this counterculture Christianity that you've called us to live, God. To love our enemies. Lord God, to, to go the second mile, Father, to turn the other cheek, not feeling like we have to avenge ourselves, Lord. You fight our battles for us, God. Help us to look to you, not to anything or anyone else, Lord. We thank you so much for today, God. 
bless everyone here with a great Sunday, a safe Sunday, a safe and a blessed rest of their week for them and their families and everyone listening in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you guys. Have a great rest of your week. God bless you guys. Stay safe.